welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, have you ever had someone send you a text or say this to you? Oh man, you should have been there. And it's like comes with this picture of this amazing meal they had or some event or some concert or somebody showed me the other day this house that they rented on a private beach in the Dominican and they didn't say, oh, you should have been there. But I was like, oh man, I wish I would have been there, <laughs> right? Have those moments. Um, so take a moment and discuss with the person next to you or near you What's one of your, oh man, if only I had been there moments, like in a good way. And it could be in recent history or it could be like, say, in the last several thousand years, this moment in history, like, oh, I wish I would have been there. I would have been amazing, you know, to be at the Berlin Wall when it came down or wherever that is, that moment is for you. Um, When Joe Carter hit his home run in the World Series 1993, some of you weren't born yet, I know. Uh, Like, what was that moment for you? Like, I wish I had been there. Hey, well, if you started any good conversations there, one of you didn't get to finish your story, you can do that during the 30-minute party today after service. But man, it is Easter Sunday. It is Resurrection Day. It is the day we celebrate the fact that three days after Jesus was crucified, he was literally physically raised from the dead. And like, is there ever a moment in history you'd say, oh man, I wish I had been there. Like, I wish I had been there to see it. Oh, like those first followers of Jesus, the ones who believed because they saw the risen Christ there. And here's what I mean by that, that kind of wish I had been there moment. For some of us, we feel like, oh, if I could only have seen Jesus in the flesh, like raised to life, maybe I would believe, or maybe it would be easier for me to believe. Maybe it would be easier for me to have faith. Like for many of you, maybe you struggle with kind of the unseen aspect of faith, right? Some of you, maybe it's your first time in church, your first time in a long time, you're just exploring faith. And that's one of the things for you is like, I haven't seen it with my own eyes. How can I believe? But maybe more broadly for a lot of us, when we say, oh man, I wish I had been there, we feel like the resurrection's a long way off. Like that was 2000 years ago, that was then. You know, and the disciples got to see that, they got to be with him and see miracles and see him be raised from the dead. Um, But this is my life now, 2000 years later, and it feels like a long way since then. So today, okay, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but how about my life now? And maybe if I can be more honest, if Jesus is risen from the dead, how come my life isn't better now? 
right? Maybe some of us are like, well, how come my problems haven't gone? Okay, great. Jesus has risen from the dead, but I still am dealing with all of my problems. Like he got raised from the dead. I'm, I haven't gotten my resurrection yet. And there's lots of things in my life. You might say, oh, that, that feel dead or aren't raised to life. We struggle with that. What does that have to do with today? You know, we were reminded a couple of weeks ago that all of us in the technological revolution carry the weight of the world around with us on our cell phones in our pockets. Like we are aware of all of the struggles and hardship and difficulty both out there and in here, both in the broader circles in the news and then in our own kind of social circles that we're connected to in our families and our friends. And many of us, you know, we can say this has been and we're, we're still in, it feels like a season where there's a lot of fear and disappointment and disillusionment and frustration and uncertainty and confusion. And what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with that now? Okay, maybe that was something and helpful for them then, but what about me now? That's a good question. I think actually one of the things to discover is that even though it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was physically raised from the dead. And yes, he's still alive. But even though it's been 2,000 years since those disciples then, those followers then, and now, and circumstances in many ways are different than they were 2,000 years ago, we miss sometimes the fact that Jesus appeared in the flesh to the disciples in not dissimilar situations and circumstances to where we are now. And that in fact, the same way, if I can say it that way, that he appeared to them and the resurrection, what it meant for them is the same thing it means for us now meeting us here today in our present circumstances. Now, part of the reason we struggle with that is that the four biographies of Jesus, there's so much time dedicated to his life, his teaching and his death, as it should be. All of those things, significant aspects of what it means that he was Lord and Savior. But in each of the biographies, there's only one chapter and John one and a half dedicated to his resurrection. Like it just kind of, it's like, yep, he was raised from the dead. And then all of a sudden the biography of the church in Acts and on we go into history. And so we're actually going to pause here and look at three different vignettes um, that are going to be read for you at three different points within this service that give us a little bit of a window into what happened when Jesus appeared in the flesh to those disciples. And how does that actually connect so deeply with us right where we are today in 2022? And so let's have a listen to the first one. On the evening of the first day of the week, Jesus had risen from the dead that morning. The disciples were together with the doors locked. Why? For fear of the Jewish leaders, the same powerful, angry, and Jesus-hating people that had killed their Lord would think nothing of doing the same to them. Kill the leader, kill his inner circle, and that's the end of the Jesus problem. So yes, the doors were locked. They definitely had something to be afraid of. Suddenly, Jesus came and stood among them, literally in the middle of them, in the locked room. There he was, in the flesh. He said, peace be with you, probably because they were freaking out. So he showed them his hands and his side. It's me, the one you saw crucified. Suddenly, the fear was gone. Instead, the disciples were overjoyed. The fear-filled room was now filled with joy. Unfortunately for Thomas, one of the inner circle, 
he wasn't there. If it was today, his phone would have been blowing up with you should have been there messages. His friends all told him, we have seen Jesus. But he didn't believe them. You can understand. He thought it wasn't Jesus in the flesh they had seen. A ghost or a delusional vision or whatever. Not actually Jesus. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked again. The threat of getting killed apparently hadn't gone away. They were still a bit afraid. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He had to keep saying peace so they wouldn't freak out again. It was hard to believe it was really him. This time, Thomas got to see Jesus in the flesh. And just to make sure it wasn't a Jesus ghost, Thomas touched Jesus' hand and his side. He felt the scars. It was actually Jesus. Once again, the room, the fear-filled room, was filled with joy. When Jesus first appears to his disciples... Uh, it says on the, on the evening of the day that he was raised from the dead in the morning, on the evening he appears to them. Where are they? <laughs> well, they are hiding in a locked room living in fear. They are hiding in a locked room living in fear to which we don't say, oh, cowards. We go, yeah, no kidding. I would be hiding too. See, they had actually walked with Jesus these last three years and they had seen him do a number of incredible things. They had seen him, they were in a boat with him in the middle of a full-on raging storm. And many of them were sailors, they were fishermen. They understood just how perilous that was. And he calmed the storm with his words. They had seen him have power over nature, over the elements. They had seen him cast demons out of people. He like had power over hell, over the devil itself. They had seen him do incredible exorcisms blew their minds. They had seen him kind of show his power and authority over the religious leaders, teaching in a way that amazed the crowds and basically shut the mouths of these people who, uh, you know, claimed to have kind of religious authority and a deep knowledge of God. They had seen him raise people from the dead. And because of all that, they and many other people had come to believe This guy has the power over the religious authorities and he has the power over the Roman Empire. And yet, the religious authorities and the Roman Empire had just killed him. And so they had realized, I guess he's no different than any other upstart Messiah. Like you need to understand at that point in in first century Palestine, there were many people that would come along claiming to be Messiahs and they would kind of claim to, you know, have this power and authority to lead a revolution against Rome and against the religious establishment. And they would start to amass followers. And those movements ended the same way every time. The Messiah was killed, the closest inner circle was killed too, and the movement was gotten rid of. It dissipated. And so now they had believed Jesus was different. And now they suddenly realized, oh no, he's not. He's just like every other Messiah. He's killed. Now we're going to die too. I mean, that's what they did. That's how they dealt with it. Kill the Messiah, kill the closest followers, and you can kill the movement. So yes, they were afraid. And not just a fear for their lives. It says they were fearing for the the people who were just imprisoned and killed Jesus. It was a kind of fear that came in of dread of like, oh no, 
Now there are many things to be afraid of. What we thought was safe and secure and stable for us isn't anymore. So yes, they are behind locked doors. And Jesus appears to them in the flesh. Jesus, it says, literally passed through the door and appears to them in the flesh a couple of times. It's funny to me, actually, the second time, they still are behind locked doors, which I just like, okay, good. They were still struggling with fear. They're human, just like you and me. But Jesus appears to them in the flesh. And it says that when he did, their fear was driven out and replaced by joy. But how? How? How did the fear get driven out and replaced by joy? It wasn't like Jesus had, repl- had changed their circumstances. It wasn't like he said, hey, guys, good news. You know, the, you don't have to fear for your life anymore. Let's unlock the doors. What are you worried about? I've defeated all of the chief priests and I've defeated Rome. So you, no one's trying to kill you anymore. Yeah, they still were. Why were they not afraid anymore? See, the risen Christ just the mere presence of Jesus in the flesh didn't change their circumstances, but it changed the atmosphere. All of the things they were fearing didn't go away, but they felt differently about their circumstances because Jesus was in the room. Just simply the presence of the living Christ, it didn't fix everything, but it changed the atmosphere. It changed them even if their circumstances were unchanged. Man, how many of us can relate? I mean, maybe you don't have somebody trying to hunt down your life and take it from you. But many of us have rooms that we would say, yeah, these are places of fear. These are places where we've locked the door. For some people in our community, in in recent months, it's been in the doctor's office, a place of fear, where bad news has come and fear has come with that. For others of us, perhaps it's a classroom. It's maybe 102B where you go to class because maybe it's a place of fear or you know, uncertainty for you because you feel bullied there or you feel alone there or you're worried you're going to fail. Maybe for some of us, it's a job, it's an office, it's a home office or it's where we're going now and things feel uh, afraid. You're afraid of losing your job. You're afraid of the climate. You're afraid of getting sick or maybe you've lost your job and so that itself, even home, feels like a place of fear or perhaps... The place where you work is your home. Caring for children or doing some work or side hustle or part-time or full-time or whatever it is. How many of us feel, you know, there's places in a sense where that space represents a place of fear for us. What's going to happen to me? What if this? And maybe not just for you. Maybe it's for a loved one. Maybe it's someone in your family or someone you know or a close friend or, but you know that's a place of fear for them. We need Jesus to show up in the room. The scriptures, the writers of the New Testament, you know, after this, said that the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given to us. It's the same spirit of Christ that we ourselves are temples where God lives. That where you are, Jesus is in the room. Christ is alive in you. He is present with you in those places of fear. And even if the circumstances around those things don't change, the atmosphere can change when we recognize that he is in the room with us. And so I want to invite you to do something. Uh, In a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song that basically says, Jesus is here in this place. It's a reminder of that truth that the living, risen Christ is still with us now, collectively and individually. 
And so if that's you, if you're somebody saying, yeah, like I've been, there's a place that I can identify that it feels like I've been afraid and I need to remember that Jesus is in the room. Or perhaps if there's someone in your life who you know has been battling fear and they, their life, their situation, their fears are on your heart today. You'll see there's actually little doors that we've put up on the walls that you can go and write, door frames, where you can go and write during this song. You can write a prayer, a prayer that says, Jesus, come meet me in this place. Maybe you want to write the name of that room on the door frame. Maybe it's going to be the number of the classroom. Maybe it's the address where you work. Maybe it's a place in the house. Maybe it's a name that you're going to write that's on your heart that you're praying for. Or maybe you're just going to say, Jesus, help me remember that you are with me in this place. The living Christ is here today with you, with me, with us. And so as we sing and we invite him to remind us of that, maybe I invite you, whoever you are, if it's for you or somebody else, just go up and write, write a prayer, write a name, write a a name of a room and make this a time where you remember that Jesus is with you in that place. And even if the circumstances of that place don't change, the atmosphere can. The same day Jesus was raised from the dead, two of Jesus' disciples were walking away from Jerusalem. They were walking away, away from their hopes, their faith, their trust in Jesus. Why? Here's what they said. We had hoped that he was going to free Israel from the Romans, but instead the Romans and the religious leaders have crucified him. It's been three days of agony, disappointment, disillusionment. We're done. We're walking away. Some of our friends are telling us that the tomb is empty. They saw angels saying he was alive, but no one has seen him. So, so strange. So they walked away to someplace more familiar, to find something else to hope in. And as they were walking away, and talking away, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Ironic, Jesus walks with them while they were walking away from him. He starts to explain to them why actually the chosen one, the one sent from God, had to suffer and die, why Jesus had to be crucified but they still don't get it. They still don't recognize him. Still, they can't help but feel like this person, this stranger is giving them hope. So they don't want him to leave. They ask him to stay with them and eat dinner together. And when he was at dinner with them and took the bread and broke it and prayed for the meal, suddenly they realized it's Jesus in the flesh and then he disappears. But they don't mind. They turned to each other and said, wasn't your heart on fire when he talked, when he was with us? So they did the only thing they knew made sense to do. They turned around and headed back on the road, back to where they were before, back to where the rest of the Jesus followers were, back to find Jesus. says here, in another situation, we find two followers of Jesus on the same day that he was raised from the dead, but they were not aware of it. They are walking away from Jerusalem. 
And when I say walking away, they were walking away in disappointment and disillusionment. What do you mean walking away from Jerusalem? See, Jerusalem was the center of where they had encountered Jesus. Jerusalem was the place they had met uh, Christ. Jerusalem was the place that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to bring true freedom. They say we had hoped he was going to redeem or deliver Israel. What did they mean? Well, think about it. Some of us have seen on the news, many of us probably, um, the situation in Ukraine where uh, another army has come in to try to take over and has destroyed homes and people's lives and has turned their world upside down. The Israelite people were in the same situation when it came to the Roman army that had come into their land and taken over, brutalized their people and taken control. And just like the people of Ukraine would say, where is a leader who's more powerful, who's, who's going to come and drive this army out, protect us, save us, restore our freedom and our stability and our lives? In the same way the Israelite people were saying, who's going to come and liberate us from the Romans? These two guys walking on the road said, we thought Jesus was that guy. We had hoped. He was mighty in his words and his action. He had power like we had never seen before. We really had hoped he was the one. And then Rome crushed him. And so we realize he's not. And so they were walking away in disappointment, let down by Jesus and disillusionment. We don't know what to believe anymore. We don't believe anymore. There was a hopelessness in them. And it says that on that day, as they are walking away from Jesus, he begins to walk with them. Isn't that ironic? that Jesus is walking with people who are walking away from him. And it says they were kept from recognizing. They didn't even know it was him. And they're just telling this stranger all of the stuff that had happened, all of their disappointment, all of their disillusionment, and Jesus is walking with them. It was so incredible. He doesn't say, hey guys, you don't need to worry anymore. I'm ready. I've actually raised up my army. We're going to go back to Jerusalem and crush this thing. We're going to kill the Romans. We're going to throw them out. Don't worry. Everything's going to be better. He doesn't say any of that. He actually just explains to them why he had to suffer and die in the first place. And then he breaks bread with them and disappears. And even though none of the circumstances of Roman occupation had changed, they turn around. They say, he's alive. The presence of Jesus turned them around from walking away to walking back. And they turned around. He doesn't fix everything, but he shows up with them in their distress in their doubt and their sadness, and they turn around and head back to the hard place. They turn around and head back to community. They turn around and head back to hope. They turn around to say, let's go where Jesus is. Everything wasn't fixed, but they were ready to turn around. Friends, I know many of us this season however you define that period of time, however you define the circumstances that have marked this season of your life, has ca have caused us to walk away with disappointment and disillusionment. Maybe for some of us, we've sort of actively walked away from God in that. For some of us, we're present physically, but our hearts are distant. We've put God at a distance. We've put the people of God at a distance. We've been in isolation because we feel hopelessness in us, because we feel disappointed 
with God or with the circumstances or with others and we have walked away either actually or in our hearts. For some of us, maybe it's been weeks, for some of us, months, for some of us, maybe it's been decades. Maybe this is the first time in decades that you're even in a church gathering. Friends, that's real. For many of us struggling with disappointment and despair and we come by it honestly in many ways. We need to again encounter the living Jesus who even walks with us while we're walking away from him and realize, no, he doesn't fix anything, everything, but he walks with us as we walk back, as we walk back towards community, as we walk back towards hope, as we walk back towards him. He is with us. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. is just take a moment to reflect. Uh, where are you at in this? If that sort of naming, that, that sort of disappointment and disillusionment is naming a little bit of what you feel right now, I want you to take a few minutes just to reflect on these questions. Have I distanced myself from God or others because of disappointment? Am I angry or perplexed at what Jesus has or hasn't done for me? Have I stopped doing the things that otherwise would help me see him walking with me and hear him speaking to me? Like, have I cut out being in community? Have I cut out praying or trying to listen? Have I cut out being still and silent? Have I cut out reading scripture? Have I cut out singing the songs of faith that would otherwise give me the opportunity to hear him speaking to me and to see him walking with me? Just take a couple minutes and just reflect if any of that is, is naming where you've been at in this season, the road you've been walking.
Hey, if that's you in any way, any way that you identify with that, I want to ask you to do something. It's, it's pretty brave, <laughs> but we're all family here. We're together. If, if you in any way can identify saying, yeah, in some ways I've distanced myself, in some ways I've headed down a road kind of away from God or away from others or just I feel that sense of disappointment or disillusionment in my heart. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to put your hand up. And, and why I'm asking you to do that is because there's a reminder that we're not alone. You're not the only one. I mean, these two friends had each other at least to share in that. And sometimes we're walking away, but we're, we're, we're doing it alone. And so I'm just asking you to put your hand up saying, yeah, in some way, if that's you, no judgment here. We all find ourselves in this place at one time or another. Maybe that's you today. Just put your hand up. And as your hand is up, here's what I want you to do as you bring that hand down. Some of you, you have a phone in your pocket. I want you to get that phone out right now and text a friend and just say, hey, can you walk with me? And they may be like, what does this mean? He can say, I'll tell you later. <laughs> Another Jesus follower to say, hey, I need you to walk with me. Like we're not going to walk alone. Not only that, because we realize when Jesus, it, Jesus is with us through each other, the living Christ shows up. It's your way of saying, I don't want to do this alone. I want to recognize that the living Christ is with me here today. Even if all my circumstances aren't changing, I need him to walk with me, to turn me around, to move me back towards hope. Some of you just take that phone, text them right now. Others of you, you literally need to, you want to maybe just put your hand on the shoulder of someone near you or someone two rows or a couple rows away. Just go grab them on the shoulder and say, hey, I need you to walk with me. Let's talk about this later. Let's do that here. That's why you, you have a family here to do that. You are not alone. And so maybe there's just someone near you. You're going to take your hand and say, hey, that's me. Can you walk with me? Don't be afraid. And if you see people getting up and walking around, that's good. This is family. And even if you're not ready to do that, at least you realize, yeah, this happens. This is what this is for. I have another person to help me walk back to Jesus and also the living Christ who is with me, even now, reminding me that I'm not alone in this. And sometimes the most tangible way we can experience the presence of Christ is through another person that we invite to walk with us. If you did that today, I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for taking a step of faith. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for inspiring everyone else in the room. And now let's listen to a third time that Jesus shows up in the flesh, in person. After Jesus had appeared to Peter, Thomas, and the rest of the disciples in the flesh, after they realized that their savior who they saw get killed was now raised to life, they went fishing. Really? Why fishing? Maybe because that's what they knew how to do. That was their life's work before they had ever met Jesus three years earlier. Maybe they were confused, disoriented, had a bunch of questions. This wasn't something they ever expected would happen. They never thought he would be killed. So the idea that he was alive again, they didn't even have a category for that. And what now? So they go back to what they knew, who they were before Jesus. But they fished all night and caught nothing. As they were coming into the shore, a man called out to them from the shore, catch anything? Spoiler alert, it was Jesus, but they didn't recognize it was him. No, they answered. Thanks for rubbing it in. 
Try again on the other side of the boat, he said. When they did, they couldn't even bring the nets back out of the water because they were so full of fish. John said to Peter, it's Jesus. Remember he did this three years ago, the first time we met him? We left our boats and our nets and followed him. It's actually Jesus. So Peter did what he had done three years earlier. He left his boat and his nets and ran to meet Jesus. They cooked the fish and ate breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was Jesus. This was the third time he had appeared to them since he had been raised from the dead. You know, this story is maybe the most fascinating one, interesting and a bit odd. Think about it. They, Peter and Thomas and the other disciples have seen Jesus in the flesh now a couple of times. They realize he's been raised from the dead. And so what do they do? They go fishing. Some of you are like, of course, but it's not recreational fishing. It's significant. We don't really know, but we think they haven't been fishing for three years. They used to be fishermen. Then they met Jesus and then they followed him and they were ready to keep following him. And then he was killed. I mean, they never expected that he would die. They didn't even have a category for the fact that he would actually be raised to life after. And so in many ways, this picture of them going back to fishing is just sort of going back to what they knew in a time of like uncertainty and confusion. They didn't really know how to make sense of what was going on in their lives anymore. Their lives were marked by uncertainty and confusion. Now what? We don't really know. So you know what? Let's just go back to what we know. It's not as exciting where we used to be. It's not, but we know how to do it. They went back to what they knew, to an old place, to fish. And amazingly, Jesus shows up in that place. The fishing boat was like their workplace. <laughs> and he shows up there, just like he did three years earlier. And he does a miracle of fish. All of a sudden, their nets are full. But this isn't some party trick. You know, this isn't Jesus' calling card. Hey, I do a miracle like the Joker or whatever. No, it's Jesus. We recognize what was going on here? He had done this miracle for them three years before when they had no idea who he was. And in that moment, three years earlier, it was his invitation to say, follow me. I can give you a whole new way to live. Well, three years later, after a whole bunch had happened and now they, were, they had a lot of uncertainty and confusion in their lives, they didn't even know what to make sense of, of what they had seen anymore. And Jesus comes again and does a miracle again, which is basically saying, I can give you purpose, new purpose in an old place. I can give you new purpose in an old place. This place that feels familiar that you'd rather go to because it just feels a little more simpler, but you have a lot of confusion and uncertainty. Jesus comes again to fill that old place with new purpose again. The living Christ shows up at their work. Man, how many of us need that right now? How many of us need new purpose in an old place? Maybe in times of confusion and uncertainty and we don't know which end is up. Like everything has been upended in our lives. And so some of us are, you know, online at home doing school. Some of us are online at home doing work. Some of us are looking for work. Some of us are back at our office. Some of us are back at school. 
and it feels like an old place and we just feel like, I don't know what to do here. There's a loss of a sense of purpose and meaning in the places that we've gone back to. Friends, the living Christ shows up in our workplace, in our schools, in our homes, in our kitchens, in our home office, in our office building, in our shop floor, at the restaurant counter. He shows up and is able to give us new purpose in an old place. For many of us, this is the thing we feel that we need the most in times of uncertainty and confusion. We don't want it to feel like the same old. We've been clinging and looking to things to give us a sense of stability and purpose and meaning again. Or some of us maybe have given up on that search for meaning at all. Certainly it feels like we have a whole generation that says there's no such thing as transcendent meaning or purpose. There just is day in, day out. We need and can ask the living Christ to show up in old places and give us new purpose. And so if that's you, if you're somebody that say, yeah, you know what, that's exactly where I'm at. Things, I'm kind of gone back to what's familiar to what I know, but it feels empty of meaning. It feels empty of purpose. And I'm really uncertain about the future. I mean, they call it the great resignation right now for a reason. Many people feel like I just need to quit. I don't know what this means anymore. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I should be doing with my life anymore. I have lost my sense of purpose and meaning. Jesus shows up in these old places to offer us something new. And so if that's you, we're going to bless you today with a new sense of purpose that comes from the risen Christ, Jesus, who is alive, showing up in you at your workplace, at your school, in your home. We want to bless you together. So what I'm going to do is, if that's you, I want to invite you to stand. And the whole rest of the church is going to read out loud a blessing that you're going to get to hear. You're going to get to hear everyone bless you with a new sense of purpose, even in an old place. So if that's you, just stand up right now. You say, yeah, I need that. I've lost a sense of direction, of meaning, of purpose. And then the rest of us and all of us are going to say this blessing out loud over you. So the rest of us, let's say this together. May the living, resurrected Christ bring new resurrection life to your home, your work, your school. May Jesus give you a new sense of expectation for what he can do in and through you as you work. May you hear his voice guiding you in wise decisions, giving you peace in the midst of conflict or chaos, and helping you see all the ways that he is at work around you. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, may you be so aware of Jesus inviting you to join him in what he is doing. Amen. And maybe you want to take a picture of that um, blessing. We can put that back up on the screen. People can see that. You can take that and read it and read it again or read it over the people that you love or maybe send it to somebody that you know needs this. Hey, happy Easter. (laughs) Here you go. But the band's going to lead us in a song. It's called Resurrecting. And it basically says, hey, the risen Christ is showing up still in my life and he is making me alive. He is making me new. He is bringing his resurrection life into my life now. And so for all of us, let's sing that together over ourselves, over our church, over the people in our lives that we know need a fresh experience of the living Christ making them alive again. As we close our service today, I wanted to remind you of something that the New Testament writers said about the resurrected Jesus. They not only said that 
Jesus is in each of us, that we, each of us are a temple where the living Christ is, like we've talked about today. But something you've already experienced today is that the Christ is present in a living flesh and blood way with his body, that the community of Christ is actually his flesh and blood body where Jesus shows up. And so that's one of the reasons we love to be together. It reminds us of that truth. Not only is Christ in us, he is in us together. And we're actually starting a new series next week called Presence. What does it mean that Christ is present in us and that we are present with each other and in the world around us that so desperately needs everything we've just talked about today and more, all that the risen Christ brings into this world. We now as the flesh and blood body of Christ bring that to each other and into the world around us. And so I'd invite you to just come back uh, for the next few weeks for that and engage in your home groups as we work through that together. But as we close, kind of as a, as a, a benediction or a way to end this service, um, you know, you see the crosses that we have here at the front of the room, the cross with flowers in it, you know, which represents, yeah, each individual flower in a sense, but collectively joined together. We want to invite you as we close the service, as you finish today, to just come up and the band's going to play uh, for us and kind of just the chorus of that song again. And as they sing, just come up and grab a flower and take it home. And let that living fresh flower be a reminder of the living Christ, not only present in you as, as a follower of Jesus, but in the community of faith together. And so I'd invite you, in a sense, to close our time together by doing that.